The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Abraham Lincoln Radio Studio at the George Washington Broadcast Center. Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it really doesn't matter with me now. Because I've been to the mountaintop. And I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live... A long life, longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over. And I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you. But I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. He was riffing there. He uh, he didn't want to give a speech that day, and he was tired, and it just got in, and so they said, oh, there's a lot of people here that want to see you. So he came out and gave that speech about having a long life, and it was the day before he was shot, so... Yeah, chillingly prophetic. It's uh, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. We got this text. Good morning, gentlemen, and happy MLK Day. I woke up for my 7 a.m. math class, only to arrive to school and realize five minutes before class starts that there is no school today. But I love listening to you guys, yes. Oh, well, uh, thank you, my friend. A 7 a.m. class? I would have made that roughly once, I think, in my college career. Um, uh, A lot of stuff closed today, and the reason I bring that up is I just... I feel like MLK has practically no influence on America at this point for a variety of reasons. Um, I think a lot of the left sees him as way too passive and not militant enough as a way to uh, to try to affect change in the modern world. And uh, and um, or I think part of the problem is <clears throat> he he did, especially later in his career, have some kind of equity ish. 
ideas and proposals, definitely redistribution of wealth and that sort of thing. But his equality stuff is better known. And so it's tough to use him as a symbol of uh, pitting everybody against each other in terms of race and redistribution and the rest of it because he's much better known for, you know, the, the I have a dream speech and the content of the character, et cetera. CNN tweeted, tweeted this out. During the 1960s, King was a very divisive figure. The last Gallup poll to ask about his popularity during his lifetime, taken in 1966, he was killed in 68, found his unfavorable rating was 63%. That's a pretty high unfavorable rating. Um, I'm a big fan of Martin Luther King Jr. I've read a lot of books about him. The, the way he handled the nonviolence movement and was patient and slow and painstakingly used our process and system of government to affect change, I think, is a model for, for anybody who wants to affect change. But um, yeah, a lot of people feel that that's, that's not the way to do it. You jam things down people's throats or you be more violent to scare people. Right. Uh, you, right. You know, you, you attack them in the restaurant. Um, this out from the Washington Post. Members of Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s family demanded today that the Senate scrap the filibuster and pass voting rights legislation as they led a D.C. march on the holiday honoring the civil rights icon. That's a stupid idea. Well, some members of his rather large family did. He's got a handful of, uh, you know, offspring and, and grandchildren and all who are quite conservative on that stuff, too. So you pick and choose which relatives of M.L. King you want to quote, in short. And it's so weird, I can't, I can't let this go, that we have a federal holiday for a guy the federal government was trying to destroy at the time of his death. <laughs> it's just, I mean, do you take that as progress? Well, it is progress, I guess. Sure, yeah. But how do you not mention it? How would it nobody mentions it. Not only does the government not mention it, but no, nobody in the media mentions it. And, yeah. wh- and why? Why does nobody talk about the fact the FBI secretly recorded him having sex with other women, sent the tapes to his home for him and his wife to see, and sent a letter saying, so do the right thing and kill yourself? Among all the other things they did, trying to ruin him through taxes and this and that, um, the federal government was trying to destroy the man. They wanted him to kill himself. I think there are a couple of things going on. Number one, uh, especially, you know... The we're distracted by other things, so historical figures need to be reduced to one thing, like one simple declarative sentence, and that's it. That's where the story ends. Nobody has any patience for anything else. Secondly, I think the idea that, well, that was the J. Edgar Hoover FBI, and that's long gone. The FBI is now just fine, square, and never makes any mistakes, which, of course, is ridiculous. Um, so you got that. Actually, you know, the the really interesting aspect of Martin Luther King Jr., well, one of the interesting aspects about his career and his life is that he was an incredibly flawed human being. He was very, very flawed in a lot of different ways, but a lot of the work he did was, as Jack described, incredibly courageous, smart, crazy smart, Only not only strategically, but just intellectually, um, and patient even as he had these terrible personal flaws. And and the reason I bring that up, and I've, I've talked about this for years, just on and off, because I don't want to bore you. We want our heroes to be saints. And we want our villains to be entirely evil. I think because that lets us off the hook. 
doofus like me who's a little doughy, a little stressed from work, maybe had a cocktail last night. I, uh, I'm not a hero. I'm not required to do what's right and what's good in society. That's for the saints to do. Hmm. Interesting. And if you recognize, he was, you know, he was a complicated guy. Yeah. But he, he had a purpose, and he, he worked like crazy to accomplish it, flaws and all. And if there's one thing that clearly, particularly for men, is separate from all other stuff, it would seem, not for everybody, not for me, um, but uh, for a lot of people, is the sex thing. You can have all of these ideas about the perfection of you know society and life and men and everything like that, eh, but you're going to cheat on your wife and lie to her just endlessly because you got to get some. It's that's that's just an interesting. I mean, you have to just accept that that seems to be a fact. Yeah, I, it's not as you indicated. It's not universally no. a fact. It's no. not always necessarily true. But yeah, there are sayings in in various cultures and languages about you know the the sex thing's different hmm. with with dudes especially. I don't yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm sure a lot of you vehemently disagree, and I completely respect your point of view. He had the weight of the world on his shoulders, and he'd be headed into a town to give a big speech, you know, historically significant speech. Right Might the, be getting jailed. And and lining up whatever girlfriend from that town <laughs> to make sure he wasn't going to sleep alone that night. Yeah. yeah. That was just his thing. And, um, and participated in that uh, recorded session that sounded pretty rapey, right? Well, another guy was uh, could have been, and, and, and MLK didn't say anything. That's, I don't know. It's hard to say. Sure. It's hard to say. Sure. Um, I think that's going too far, but it's, there's certainly, it's certainly documented. Well, what I was, what I said wasn't going too far, I don't think. I, I mean, if you like leapt to a conclusion that therefore he was a rapist, that's too far, but it sounded kind of rapey and he was there. That's, that's all I said. That's true. Okay. Um, I wouldn't say that, but you do, because you need to bring the man down for some reason. I don't no, know why I don't. You're, I don't know why I, you're intent on this. part it of my whole saints and regular people you scream. You woke up this morning and thought, one thing I'm going to do today is bring no. down what, Martin what, Luther King. Are you insane? Do you want another co-host? Do you have somebody else in mind? This is, this is dangerous ground we're playing with here. <laughs> okay. Jesus. Um, so... Uh, Look can, for my podcast, folks. I'll be doing a podcast. You can listen to the audio, by the way, that Joe was referencing. I think it's on YouTube or someplace. National Archives. Some yeah, preach- I can't remember. Anyway, that's that's a separate topic. Um, the uh, the fact that the U.S. government was spying on him, though, and recording his sex and all that sort of stuff for years to use it to blackmail him is just. I mean, I just I never can get over that. That's yeah. wild. And how more people aren't bothered by that? That's the sort of thing power does. Well, that's also, and I'm not defending it, that's the sort of thing an existential threat does. You you act less and less polite and more and more brutal as threats grow. And we were locked in a global battle with the communists. And so if he seemed to be a communist sympathizer or might undermine the United States or whatever... There were things done that, by modern standards, seem way out of bounds. Um, another, it's not comfortable aspect of the whole story from reading the Taylor Branch uh, books about Martin Luther King Jr., which I always mention every year because they're fantastic. Um, JFK, who's held up as a civil rights icon, wouldn't meet with the guy because politically that wouldn't have been good. Wouldn't have been tough for any winning any of the southern states. 
So they had to set up a situation where Martin Luther King Jr. was at the White House and touring, and JFK happened to be walking down the hall, and they were able to say hello to each other. But they couldn't have an official meeting of any kind. Because that would have been too political risky. So I JFK can't wasn't, have him on the schedule. No, absolutely not. So JFK wasn't going to go out on a... I mean, like you were saying earlier, we like to make every... The saints are saints, and the villains are villains, and everybody's all one or the other. JFK wasn't willing to pay a political price enough to have on his schedule that Martin Luther King Jr. came into the Oval Office and I sat down with him. Too big a price to pay. Yeah. So it's interesting. It's reality. You know, and you do what you got to do to get reelected so you can move the ball down the field for your side, et cetera, et cetera. Of course, JFK and MLK sitting there in the uh, hallway right. chatting, and Lyndon Johnson walks by dangling a beagle by its ears. It was just it was a zoo. I mean, it was crazy. And MLK had, and JFK, both three-letter guys, had the whole uh, cheating on their wives thing in, in common. Oh, yeah. I don't they know had if like they, four or five interns between them. I don't know if they know. each knew that about the other. Yeah, speaking of a different time, I mean, everybody in the press pool knew that JFK had all sorts of babes scattered about. Often they knew their names and they knew the women. They worked at the White House. So so he would be ruined today. He couldn't. There'd be no way you could stay president living his lifestyle. And and MLK probably couldn't have. Yeah, no, not, no, not a chance during the Me Too movement that he's lining up various girls. Oh, right. That right, were his right, subordinates yeah. in yeah, some way. Yeah, that's the problem. Because I was going to say Trump. Famously, you know, several wives, all sorts of lovers, blah, blah, blah. So that, you know, the like uh, 70s, 80s, 90s, uh, you know, morality of the thing is kind of gone. But yeah, the hashtag Me Too thing. You can't be, you know, stooping a half dozen subordinates these days. Man, these are complicated questions. Do you eliminate the MLKs and the JFKs of the world by having those standards? Or do you, or is that pushing people like that into better behavior? I don't know which. Oh, speaking of which, the uh, president of the University of Michigan had to quit his post because he violated rules he instituted. Uh, hashtag me too wise. Uh, that story, there's a punchline at the end of it. Going to knock your socks off. Awesome. I want to hear that. And also, I'm glad I'm not on this Norwegian cru- Caribbean cruise that's going on right now. Doesn't sound like a good time unless you like lots of vomit. Oh, boy, I don't. I really don't. (laughs) That, among other things, on the way. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. California, we're the garbage state. Why would we pick up garbage? That's what we do. We produce garbage. That's the new motto of Gavin Newsom. The garbage state. Not the yeah. golden state, the garbage state. Yeah, looking around the, the Radio Ranch hood. Eh. Uh, more on that in just a second. The Super Bowl is going to stay in Los Angeles, it was announced, no matter what's happening with the COVID. So there you go. It's possible, man, the timing for this. What is the date of the Super Bowl? Oh, it's not played till February 13th. Jeez, it keeps getting later all the time. I remember when it was yep. always in January. February 13th. Well, the Omicron, God dang it. it. It depends. It could be over by then, should be over by then, but it could be right in the peak of it. 
Yeah, and you got people coming from all over the world to the Super Bowl, so right. it's definitely not, uh, we won't be out of the woods. That's not going to be easy to pull off if it's right at the peak of Omicron. Anyway, different topic. Uh, we've been talking a lot about the uh, containers that are getting robbed on the trains there in Los Angeles on a daily basis. How many did you say are attacked every single day? Uh, 90, I believe. God, that's amazing. Well, Adam, and Union Pacific out with a, uh, a, a statement saying it's because of lax crime policies. Yeah, that would make sense. Adam Carollo was talking about that the other day. Well, you know, it's never-ending lectures about, you know, not outlawing plastic straws and about outlawing gas-powered lawnmowers and gender-neutral toy aisles. We're living in, essentially, Calcutta, and we're talking about gender-neutral toy aisles. It'd be like if your son was strung out on fentanyl and you're talking about getting him cello lessons. That is fantastic. That's good. That yeah. is really good. Let's hear a little more from him, and then we'll comment. They say if you live next to a train station, you'll stop hearing the trains eventually. Yeah. And it's that way in California with graffiti and trash mm. in the homeless population. It's slow, it's gradual, but you just tune it out. Everyone here just tunes it out. And to be fair to the guys robbing the trains, maybe they're just cutting out the middleman. I mean, instead of go to the person's house and do the porch pirate thing and steal it from their porch or go to San Francisco and do a smash and grab, why not just grab it on the train on the way in and eliminate the middleman? But his point about, you know, and Tucker talking about the garbage state, having driven all the way down 99 in California and through Bakersfield and uh, in a Barstow and across on my, my long drive... There's so much garbage and homeless and just, and, and like Adam Carolla said there. And so the focus from government is uh, to make sure we have gender free toy aisles. That's, right. that's what the legislators spend their time on. The governor wants to talk about. Not the fact that it's a freaking garbage pit that you're scared to walk down the street in. Full of junkie camps and rampant crime. Yeah. Yeah. I may have a new nickname for Cal Unicornia, aka Corruptifornia. A buddy of mine, uh, I was corresponding with him, trading emails back and forth. Uh, he's uh, he's in the Baltimore area. He said, uh, how are things in Calbania, Joe? I said, Calbania? <laughs> he said, yeah, you got one party rule and it's crumbling. It's like some sort of former Soviet republic. <laughs> Calbania? <laughs> oh, brother. Adam Carolla is a clever guy. He is. I really uh, I love him. Love his stuff. He was urinating while he talked to us the last time, but <laughs> guy had to go. Is that a crime? No, hey, it's not. Hey, what the hell's Wordle? I keep hearing about Wordle, like it's taken over the nation. Do you play Wordle? I have no idea what Wordle is. Wordle is the hot new game you play on your phone. It's something to do with words, so probably something you would like. But I like words. Wordle's the hottest thing. I bet I heard the term Wordle 50 times over the weekend or came oh, across I'm it. I'm hanging out with the wrong crowd. Well, we're going to tell you all about Wordle, or Jack is, because I don't have a freaking clue. Uh, in a couple of minutes, if you miss it, grab the podcast, armstrongandgetty.com. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. 
Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Armstrong and Getty Show. I will point out there was another president who had a disastrous start to his first term, yet he became an inspiration to generations of Republicans even to this day. I'm talking, of course, about Jefferson Davis, (laughs) president of the Confederacy. And there are still statues of him in 10 different states, which, come to think of it, probably explains why the voting rights stuff isn't working out. The bottom line is, I think Biden just needs more time. He might be more of an acquired taste. Unfortunately, most Americans recently lost their sense of taste. I um, I wanted to play that because the the whole uh, going with the narrative of all Republicans are just automatically racists is right. so common and so flippantly done. I find it astounding. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's um, I think it's probably suicidal, too, eventually, because it's so divorced from reality and so ugly for, for a Democrats. So- for a society, that's the problem. Well, and not yeah. just suicidal for a party or a movement. It's suicidal for the country. If we're going to just, like, flippantly say, oh, yeah, that, that, that crowd over there is racist and doing whatever they can to keep this race down, that will lead to dissolution. Yeah, yeah, it will. And, and but think about, you know, a Colin Jost, how much praise, how much social affirmation does he get in his crowd for saying something like that? 
They love him for it. He gets the warm embrace of friendship and approval of his peers and the rest of it. It's how sick they are. Crazy. So a uh, story of note here, and coming up in just a moment, one of the best, most detailed takedowns of the federal student loan thing I've heard. I kind of like it because it backs up what I've been saying for a long time, but uh, it's a guy who uses fancy words and he writes complete sentences, so it's very persuasive. University of Michigan, one of the great elite universities of our land, to the extent that you accept the idea of an elite university at all, uh, just fired, well, I'm sorry, their, their university president quit, essentially. Mark Schlissel is the guy's name. He'd been uh, making sweet love to a subordinate, apparently. Been sending her, you know, articles, sexy articles, and talking about travel plans, and uh, my heart hurts, I miss you, blah, blah, blah. Did, blah, she, blah. did she seem to be a willing participant? Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, I'm not into the whole, you're, it's automatically a crime if there's a, uh, what do they call it, uh, imbalance of power. Right, right. Yeah, I would, I would agree with you completely. How many, how many marriages or relationships have started throughout history with people that weren't exactly on the same level ending up dating at work. Right. And that's, you know, I appreciate you saying exactly at the same level, because in most organizations, I mean, you could arguably say, well, okay, the assistant director of regional sales is technically below the plant manager's special liaison for international markets. And even though they're like, what? I don't I don't know what you're talking about. And depending on the organization, it can be that crazy and strict. Well, the irony is this guy, Schlissel, played a direct role in implementing the very rules that caused his removal. Last July, Border Regents meeting, he said, there will be zero tolerance, one of our favorite phrases, for someone in a leadership position to solicit a personal or romantic relationship with someone they have supervisory authority over, a career influence over. That's exceptionally important because of the power dynamic, he said at the meeting. Meanwhile, he's got a lover who's a subordinate. So it's another one of those, I don't actually believe this crap sort of things. Hard to say. I don't know. But so this guy has been forced to resign. Here's the punchline I promised you. Now, I've never been a university president. I don't know how much is involved. Even at the School of Hard Knocks? I think you'd, uh, I was barely a dean. Um, I, I think, you know, you show up, the professors show up, everybody teaches classes, once in a while you got to deal with them. His base salary, base salary, $927,000 a year. Whoa! Holy crap! And then, and that, that's, a, that's a completely different salary. By the way, if you're going to get a pension for the rest of your life, which I'm sure he is. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. 900. Uh, plus, I'll bet he gets housing in a car. Oh, yeah. Travel allowance and all sorts of stuff and like a, that. Apparently, all the hot underlings you can have the energy for. <laughs> apparently so. Yeah, it's a good gig if you can get it. So the fact that he makes easily with uh, benefits and, and, and uh, the rest of the uh, spiffs we were talking about, Easily a million dollars a year or more. Factors into the next story. And it is a great piece I came across from Neil McCluskey, who uh, is a Cato guy, or he was. I, I'm not sure if he's with him anymore. But anyway, he writes, When I began working at the Cato Institute many moons ago, my focus was on elementary and secondary education. Early on, I came across a report titled The College Cost Crisis from the U.S. Committee on Education and the Workforce. 
The author seems exasperated that federal student aid never caught up with skyrocketing college prices. Both kept rising. And I thought the likely, in other words, the uh, the federal student aid was always chasing the cost of education, which rose faster. But as I pursued this possibility further, I was informed, not always politely, that this had been, oh, I'm sorry. I thought the likely reason was pretty obvious. Aid enables colleges to raise those prices. But as I pursued this possibility further, I was informed, not always politely, that this has been disproven long ago. What? Pouring money into a market does not distort it. And how dare you bring it up? That's hilarious. It turned out that, no, this has not been disproven. In fact, there is substantial empirical evidence that federal student aid fuels the ivory tower's infamous price inflation, including roughly a doubling in inflation-adjusted terms of sticker prices between 1991 and 2021. Doubled. Doubled. It also makes logical sense. If you give loads of people easy money to pay for one thing, the price of that thing will rise as people demand more of it and with greater bells and whistles. Now, he doesn't get into this quite as specifically as I would like, but I appreciate the bells and whistles thing. Here's the situation. I I say this having sent three kids through uh, university education, college slash university, quite recently. You have, for instance, uh, uh, affluent kids and foreign nationals, particularly Chinese nationals, who are paying the full full cost or damn near it. The sticker price, which is so freaking high, you got to be rich to afford it, right? And then you have a bunch of uh, more middle class, working class, even upper middle class kids who are getting subsidies, getting aid, getting federal student loans, stuff like that. So they don't pay that giant rate. But wait a minute. They kind of do. They just get a lot of help. And yeah, there are some schools that will cut the cost for various people and all. But a lot of it totals up to that super high cost. How do you justify that super high cost to the foreign nationals and the affluent people? Well, you have great dorms with great food. You got fabulous gyms. Yeah. I remember when USA Today featured my local college and its dorms, which are like five star hotels, they said. I've oh, never yeah. been inside them, but they look like it from the outside. Or just really nice apartments. Well, anyway, so you elevate it. You elevate the the living experience or the luxury of the damn thing <laughs> to a- get those full boat payers satisfied and to attract them to your college. But then the poorer kids are paying that nut too eventually one way or the other somebody's paying it right so well, it's like because of chinese people and rich people the only thing there is is bentleys but we have giant subsidies for bentleys what a hilarious vision to put in people's head of what life is going to be like oh, you yeah. get out of high school you go to college and stay in a five star hotel and eat at a uh, you know, eat in a lunch plan, because I'm familiar with this, too, at a different university with uh, someone I know. Um, uh, they got the, uh, there, there are different levels of lunch plans or whatever, and they got, plans, they, yeah. they got the, the high-dollar one, and it's just unbelievable. So between the dorm and the meal plan, you're there's no way, unless you're a neurosurgeon or something, that you're going to live that lifestyle when you get out of college. Right, right.
So this piece goes on. Unfortunately, statistical analyses and logic are abstract. They feel like ones and zeros more than people doing real things. Moving away from abstractions is where debt trap by Wall Street Journal reporter Josh Mitchell provides an immensely valuable service. It chronicles flesh and blood people driven by combinations of good intentions and self-interest creating and expanding federal student loan programs and shows how those programs have distorted higher education and for too many people rendered it financially crippling. He lays out in his book chronologically ordered chapters that lead with human interest anecdotes, student debtors, federal lending entrepreneurs, uh, that make it easy to comprehend the evolution of federal lending. Listen to this, which is so great. From student aid champion President Lyndon Johnson's difficulties paying for his own education, uh, he takes it to the present day. Um, Mitchell reveals that people have seen the problem with rampant federal aid and loans and the and the skyrocketing college prices since day one after washington first created a program giving colleges money to lend to students when russia put sputnik in the air and we panicked we're like holy crap we're falling behind the soviet union we got to get more people college educations more scientists more research we gotta we gotta brain up right so after they created that in 1957, the Eisenhower, Eisenhower administration, quote, suspected schools are inflating their needs, asking for roughly double the amount the feds had projected. Immediately, as soon as federal funds were injected, uh, prices started to skyrocket. It's not surprising. Skyrocket. Moving to the present day, the problem is still clear. Mitchell talks to Al Lord, twice head of the federally created Student Loan Marketing Association, better known as Sally May, who, looking back on his career and his grandkids' current tuition bills, sees the problem. He considers colleges greedy, writes Mitchell, the author, charging exorbitant amounts while building up huge endowments to pay professors to work fewer hours and to construct attract high-dollar students, and he grudgingly, this is the Sally May guy, grudgingly acknowledged the education establishment had a dependence on government largesse. Hmm. Now, we're running super short on time. There's more to this, but it's pretty powerful. We'll have the link for you at armstrongandgetty.com. And not the least bit surprising. It's just... Well, it's really the most basic of economics. Sure, it seems as simple as 2 plus 2 equals 4 in terms of just the logic of it. How can what anybody do you get at deny? garage sales? Use toasters. Use toasters. It's one of the things you see at garage sales. If you start, you go garage selling on a Saturday morning. You and your sweetheart, maybe. I haven't done this in ages. I should, although I don't need more junk. I need less junk. Um, <laughs> and every garage sale had a representative of the federal government who said, listen, we have a program for buying used toasters. I will give you $100 at a very, very low interest rate so you can make sure you get the toaster you want. The price of used toasters would skyrocket. Please, you got two people with fists full of government cash bidding on a used toaster at a garage sale. What do you think is going to happen to that price? It is, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, I'm insulting your intelligence by even explaining it. And yet, for some reason, we can't grasp that in, in college. We are big Ben Sass fans around here, senator from Nebraska. He might be my favorite politician in America. He had some harsh words for Joe Biden last week that we missed. We'll catch up on that next. Armstrong and Getty. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. 
Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets. The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all. Or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's Chris Stapleton, who was featured on 60 Minutes last night. Also reminds me, the the music act on Saturday Night Live, Bleacher, freaking loved them. Oh my God, they were awesome. Filling in last second for a group that had COVID. They brought in this New Jersey band that Bruce Springsteen's a fan of, and they just kicked ass. Mm. Fantastic. Got to check it out. Highly recommend that. Um, what the hell is Wordle? We'll figure that out in just a second. But first, Ben Sass is a Nebraska senator. He's a senator from Nebraska. By the and, way, it appears to be bleachers, old man. It's bleachers? Like saying David Bowie. Listen to the old guy. <laughs> I, I, I will These never. battles, George, Paul, Rango, and Rick. I am not claiming, nor will ever claim to be. Part of the hip, cool crowd. I bet is known. If I give out fat air, I, I was mistaken. I'm not trying to claim that <laughs> it was at all. Inadvertent. It was inadvertent. I okay, can't them. Nobody has less of an idea with two kids of what's popular right now than me. If you can find that person in America who knows less of what's popular right now than me, <laughs> let me down. know. Yes. 
Um, ben Sass is a senator from Nebraska, and he had some good stuff to say about um, Joe Biden's speech last week. Here's a little of it. Joe Biden was a stalwart defender of the filibuster. He said that weakening the filibuster would, quote, eviscerate the Senate. But earlier this week, the president was pushed around by a bunch of rage-addicted 20-somethings on his staff and agreed to go down to Georgia and just read whatever nonsense they loaded into his teleprompter. It was shameful. It was sad. Wow. That's a blast. Yeah, I thought that was a great line. Here's a little more. The president of the United States called half of the country a bunch of racist bigots. Think about that. Half the country, a bunch of racist bigots. He doesn't believe that. This was a senile comment of a man who read whatever was loaded into his teleprompter. His speechwriters puppet mastered him into saying that anyone who disagrees with him is George Wallace, Bull Connor, Jefferson Davis. You disagree with Joe Biden, and you're Jefferson Davis. It's pretty breathtaking. Equating millions of Americans to some of the ugliest racists in all of American history, that isn't just overheated rhetoric. It's a disgusting smear. It, it, it is and was disgusting. Again, the line from the earlier clip, earlier this week, the president was pushed around by a bunch of rage-addicted 20-somethings on his staff and agreed to go down to Georgia and just read whatever nonsense they loaded into his teleprompter. It was shameful and sad. Wow. And I think that is what happened. I do think that's what's happened. I, I, I don't know. I, uh, is that who Joe Biden always was? Or has he become a different person? Or is he, or is he is like Ben Sasse just kind of suggesting that he's just so out of it. He just kind of shows up and other people write the speeches and... Yeah, well, I I don't think Joe Biden's sharp enough to resist if the rage-addicted 20-somethings tell him, look, Grandpa Joe, these days, to get anybody's attention, you got to go way over the top. you got to be just hyperbolic as hell. And you know, politicians, they're like reptiles anyway. They'll do whatever you know gains them what they're looking for. I have been reminded, though, this is the guy that said during the 2012 presidential election about the really controversial ticket of Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan. I mean, can you get more moderate than that? They're going to put you all back in chains, all he said right. to a group of black uh, a black audience. Yeah. They're going to put you back in chains. That's a heck of a thing to claim about Mitt Romney and Paul Ryan. Yeah. So yeah. He's, he's willing to go over the top. That's a great note. I'm glad you threw that in because he's got this rip. The rep is old, likable Joe. He's always got a friendly word, and he's down to earth, and blah blah blah. No, he's it's just been spouting poisonous, awful rhetoric for a very long time. So I saw this on Twitter. I heard jokes about it on Saturday Night Live. Alex, what the hell is Wordle? You said you play it. It is a word game where you guess a five-letter word by guessing each letter, and the game will tell you whether the letters in the correct spot, incorrect spot, are not included at all. And so it's, it's a process of elimination. And it's an app on your phone? Uh, it's on, I play it through my desktop, but I'm sure you can find it on your phone as well. Okay. Yeah, I, I've been trying to play it, actually, during the commercials. I sought it out, and I'm doing something wrong, I guess. You just write, a, like, a five-letter word in the top row and, and then you hit randomly? Enter. You hit enter. Yeah, well, it needs to be an actual word. You can't just put okay. A-D-S-B. Like it Which needs, is, I tried to A-E-I-O-U. So Joe typed in Merkin. Oh, boy. That's a six-letter word, I believe. It is. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's you, Michael. always, always working the Merkin desk. 
Uh, Google it. It's a five-letter word. It processes elimination. But the big thing is everybody tweets about it. They put out what they got correct, but they don't share what word it is because it's the same word every day. Okay. For everybody. Okay. So that's why everybody's tweeting it and that sort of stuff. Okay. Gotcha. All right. That's all I need to know about. I don't don't have time for these sorts of... I, I do not have moments to kill. I suppose at some point in my life I may once again need to fill moments of boredom, but that is not an issue that I have had for quite some time and certainly didn't have this weekend. Well, that was a little condescending. Those of us who enjoy a challenging word game to keep our minds sharp. How dare you, sir? How dare you? Are for... you just reading whatever your rage-addicted <laughs> staffers put in front of your senile eyes? I got time for getting meals together for my kids, then cleaning up the meals, then doing the laundry, then getting them to bed, then checking on their homework, then me getting ready for work. That's what I got time for. Period. Armstrong and Getty. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.